0: It was um, fun this week to see a number of you post a certain article on my Facebook page. I think that was the most, most different versions of one story I've ever had posted on my Facebook page. For those of you that didn't read it or didn't hear, it was about a lady in Texas celebrating her 104th birthday, which was quite an accomplishment. And she was asked, what do you attribute your longevity to? And she said, I drink three Dr. Peppers a day. That's why people posted it to my page. Now, actually, I don't drink much soda anymore, so, but I still love Dr. Pepper. What was interesting in the article is that she was asked, okay, how did doctors feel about this? She goes, well, a number of real doctors, because, you know, Dr. Pepper isn't really a medicine, but a, a number of real doctors, she said, told me that this would kill me, that this was bad for me. But they're all dead, She said. <laughs> I just laughed and laughed <laughs> and she was and I'm not, I'm doing just fine. And so she even got a little gift basket from the CEO of Dr. Pepper and, and all this, this good stuff, but it just sort of fun, but the doctors were probably right, right? It's probably not good for you. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Difference of opinion. She would say, I should be able to enjoy Dr. Pepper. They would say, It's killing you. Stop, right? So difference of opinion. In the church, and you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with our text this morning? But today we want to look at Paul's final arguments on differences of opinions about different things in the church. And specifically about whether we should or should not be able to do certain things in the church. And just as the the lady with Dr. Pepper wanted to enjoy her, Dr. Pepper, and doctors felt it was wrong, and and probably or not wrong, but bad for you and probably had a point. There are things in the church that are much more serious things. That some in this room may feel are are contrary to God's Word, that we should not practice as believers, and others in this room may feel like aren't aren't a problem at all. And we've been talking about this now for three chapters. Because this is an important issue. And, And it's not that we've decided to devote three times to it. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 all on this topic. And so we've been working our way through his different arguments on that topic. And what I'd like to do this morning, as we've been talking about it, your community groups have been talking about it, I want to just talk a little bit and ask you, what kinds of things are gray areas in the church? What kinds of things are areas that maybe Scripture is not explicit in, but we might have different opinions about? Do we ever have different opinions here? Yes, at least two or three sometimes. But what kinds of things are we talking about? Give me some feedback. Dancing, Dancing okay? Two people listed that first. Dancing. Drinking. Absolutely. Modesty. And I think we'd all agree that we, we, there should be modesty, but at what level should that be? And there's differences of opinions on that. Secular movies. Secular music. Absolutely. What was that? Dating. Dating. Should I date? Should I court? Or should I dort? For those of you that have been through the youth program, you know what that's about. Tattoos. Tattoos, Piercings. What? Parenting styles. Las Vegas. Gambling. Hey, your list is much longer than mine. (laughs) I should have been writing these things down. Now, how many of you have opinions on most of those things? That's most of the people here. My daughter had an opinion this morning about our worship music. Sorry, Joshua. <laughs> she brought out that there was a theological inaccuracy in one of our songs. <laughs> she said, Dad, I don't think you can hike to heaven. High, high King of Heaven? and be that my vision she she's listening to the words and we're singing hiking of heaven she's like dad you can't hike to heaven i don't think that's right (laughs) And, and i'm like you know alicia you're right that's you can't hike to heaven it's not really what the song is saying but um we have differences of opinion so what how do we decide what to do how do we decide what we can and can't do See, we could. one of the options is we could just freeze and do nothing for fear of offending somebody. And, and so I can just stay at home, never come out of my house, and, and, and then you know, just, just be a monk, and then I never offend anyone. The other extreme is I can do whatever I want because I'm a believer and I have forgiveness in Christ. And so even if I blow it, I'm just going to ask His forgiveness and I really don't care who it affects. And those are the two extremes, and we have everywhere in between. So how do we take this discussion that Paul has been talking about and apply it to godly living in an ungodly world, but more specifically, godly living in a church family of 250 people? It's challenging when we have different opinions. And when those opinions can can come from all over the board and from different uh, on, on all these different topics. You remember Paul is is using a specific instance that the the church at Corinth had asked about. And now today he's getting into a more general principle as he wraps it up. And he summarizes all of his arguments. He's getting into some general principles that can apply to anything. For them it was food offered to idols. Meat specifically offered to idols. And you know through the, the study of these three chapters that they would have meat in the marketplace, they would have meat in the temples, they would have meat in people's homes, but almost all the meat came from the temples because that was the place where they butchered the animals, they carved the meat out. Some of it was actually sacrificed to idols. Some of it was was, was sent to the marketplace. And, and virtually, I, I wouldn't say all, but most of the meat somehow came from, from the temple or, or some area that we would not necessarily approve of. And so Paul is helping them work through how can we be part of this culture, how can we enjoy what God has made, and and still not compromise our testimony, and not compromise our love for each other. And so he's been working through that. And last two weeks ago, when we looked at the first part of chapter 10, Paul was saying, now there's certain things that aren't gray areas. There's certain things that are absolute. For instance, if you go eat meat in a temple, in a service to an idol, that is sin, he said. The sin of idolatry. And so, Paul isn't, let's just let everything happen. He draws a line of that is black and white. And now today, he comes back to gray areas. Like I said, it's sort of a summary of these three chapters. I call it, this is Paul's get it, got it, good section. Do you know what I mean by that? If Paul says get it, we say... And he says, good. <laughs> Let's try that again. Get it? Good. So, so that's where we're at today. Um, just coming into our text. It's a summary. It's things that you've heard before in these last two chapters, but it's good things for us to remember, especially as we talk about all these issues that we have and we, we have to work through as a church family. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to figure out these gray, gray areas and how do I know what I should and shouldn't do? At least what are some helps to that? I specifically did not word it, how do I know what I can and can't do? That's what Paul is sort of fighting against and says, no, no, there's, there's moral directives, there's moral imperatives that are beyond what I can and can't do that go to what should I do. And so we come to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. I'd like to read through chapter 11, verse 1. And and verse 1 of chapter 11 goes with this um, section. It's all one one thought. Then verse 2 of chapter 11 starts a new thought. But let's just read this together. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we we pull this section apart, as we study Your Word, Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would convict us, would guide us, would give us some principles that we can know that we are living for Your glory in all that we do. Open Your Word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So this is his culmination of the argument. And out of this, we want to look at five different questions that will help us understand and help us sort of process where we should be on some of these gray areas. Not necessarily specifically what our answer to the gray area should be, but how we should act and how we should respond to each other within the body of Christ. The first question comes from the first section, verses 23 through 30 there. And it's the question, does this show love by helping and building others up? Does this show love by helping and building others up? And verses 23 and 24 are really the first argument he makes. And it's to actively do things that are constructive in others' lives, to actively do things that are constructive in others' lives. Let's look at verse 23. "All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful." Have we heard that before? At the beginning of the section on sexual immorality, it says the same thing. He's quoting this from, from chapter 6, verse 12. "And all things are lawful," probably was the slogan we said that the Corinthian church was using. "I can do anything. Woohoo!" I have salvation, I have my fire insurance. It doesn't matter anymore." But Paul is saying, "But not all things are helpful." He repeats it again, "All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And the idea of building up there is, is it's really a construction metaphor. It's building on a foundation and adding walls and adding drywall and adding a roof. It's to build something up, to construct, and are we being constructive? And what's interesting here is when you think of helpful and building up, this is different from do no harm, right? We've talked about do not cause anyone to stumble. And that's one of Paul's arguments. Now he's carrying that a step further and say it's not just about do no harm. Now it's how can you help? How can you build up? And so when we start to think through some of these gray areas, one of our questions should be, is this helpful? Does this build others up? Does this help them grow? Verse 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And Paul here gives this active idea of intentionally building into other people's lives. Building them up. Encouraging them. Helping them grow in Christ. And so as we think about some of these gray areas and things that we can disagree on, Am I showing love? Am I acting in a way that actually builds somebody up instead of tears them down? And that's a broad principle, but if we start to think through some of these principles with specific actions, we can begin to develop a, a theology of gray areas, an understanding of what we should and shouldn't do and how we should be with each other in, those, in these things. When he talks about not all things build up, if you remember at the beginning... Of this section, flip back to chapter eight, verse one. The first verse, as he talks about this, he says, "This knowledge puffs up." And at that point, he's comparing knowledge to love. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so, Paul's come full circle here. He he starts his argument with this idea of love building up he ends his argument with love building up. And that's an inclusio, which means that is a concept that permeates the whole discussion. We're going to see the same thing with spiritual gifts. And so really, it's not about, can I do this? It's not about, do I want to do this? It's about, am I loving the person next to me when I do this? Am I building him up? Am I building her up? You see that in verse 24, let no one seek, and that's another active word, let no one seek his own good. It's not about me, it's not about self-centeredness, but the good of his neighbor. I think back to even Cain, when God came to Cain, and, and Cain's answer to God was, am I my brother's keeper? Well, well actually, yeah. We are. We should be concerned about each other. That's part of our decision-making process with every action we do. Does this show love? Does this help them grow? Flip over to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Some of my favorite verses. We can see how Paul keeps coming back to this in different writings. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we see an attitude that says, you're more important than I am. Your interests will be considered. I will act in a way that loves you. This would have been pretty profound to the the church at Corinth especially to the social elites who were trying to build a reputation for themselves, a status. They would even try to get to where they could build statues to themselves or plaques to themselves because it was all about how can I draw attention to myself? And Paul says, no way. How do you build someone else up? And so when we think of some of these gray areas, when we think of some of these actions, some of them we actually do for very selfish reasons. I just want to do that. And we haven't even thought about the effect on other people. This isn't an isolated instruction from Paul. In Romans 15.2, let each each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And and that was right after the discussion in Romans on meat and and drink. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So the question to ask is, is this helpful to others or is this just feeding my desires? Love the story of of a man who spent the summer in the slums of Calcutta ministering with Mother Teresa. And and he wrote about his experiences and he wrote that she was this this wrinkled lady, sort of like your grandma, your old granny. But there was one thing he noticed about her and and it was her feet. Her feet were, were deformed. And and he, he began to ask around. He, each morning he'd stare at those feet and he'd, he'd wonder if she had leprosy or some other disease. And um, finally, one of the sisters asked, uh, 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 <clears throat> "Excuse me." One of the sisters he asked, and, and she told him, "Have you noticed Mother Teresa's feet?" He nodded. He was curious, and he said, "Well, her, her feet are deformed because we only get so many shoes donated." And so when they come in, it's not enough for everybody. And so she goes through first and finds the worst pair of shoes and takes those for herself so others can have the best. And her feet are like that because of many years of just wearing poorly fitting and and lousy shoes. What an example of a love that places others' needs above our own. That's the first question Paul comes to when he talks about gray areas. Are we putting others' needs above our own? Or are we doing the opposite? Tearing down, becoming a stumbling block. If we read on, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. We're going to come back to these three verses. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And then catch verse 28, and we get our our second part of, of this first point. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the One who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And the second point he makes there, letter B, is if someone truly has a problem with it, put them first and don't do it with them. If someone truly has a problem with it, put them first and don't do it with them. Paul here, he's trying to give some specifics. He's wrapping everything up and he says, you know what, there is freedom. There is freedom if it's just in the market or you're visiting someone's house. But here's where the freedom ends... And he says, what if you're, you're at a place, and he's probably talking about going to an unbeliever's house, and what if you're there and someone makes a point to you, you know, this meat was used in an idol ceremony. He says, that changes things. That changes your freedom. Because now someone else is, is concerned about that, aware of that. Probably, and we, it, this could be talking about believers or, or non-believers... Probably, I think it's talking about the host at this party, this non Christian host, that, that may be testing them, maybe challenging them a little bit to see what they'll do. And Paul's saying, if someone has a problem with it, just back off. Don't eat it. Real practical advice, right? For a gray area, if you're with somebody that you know has a problem with that spiritually and, and, and it's a real problem, then don't do it. It's pretty simple. And so he's balancing here the fear of I might offend somebody with genuine love and deference to each other. And he says, if someone brings it up, then, then act differently. Then act on that. Now now keep in mind, the, the context here is someone brings it up. It's not a third-party context. So it's not Jimmy coming to me and saying, you know, I heard that Pastor Andrew has a problem with you drinking Dr. Pepper. I think you should stop. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, no, if the person comes to you and, and, and you guys can have a conversation about it and it's a stumbling block to them, then don't do it. See, it's the question, will this help them or will it hurt someone else in their walk? We talked about this with stumbling block in Romans 14, 13, similar issue. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In 1 Corinthians 8-9, just two chapters earlier that, that Pastor Andrew taught on, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And it's interesting to sort of dig into this because verse 28, the person has a legitimate concern. This was offered to idols. I don't know if we should do this. And so Paul says, then don't eat it for their sake. For the sake of their conscience. And then 29 and 30 are these weird verses, right? Those are sort of hard to understand. And Paul is using some rhetorical questions here that, that are a little bit different for us to think through. In verse 29, he says, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? And he's saying, "Don't don't worry that your conscience is violated. Don't worry that you've sinned. You don't have to change your opinion if someone else comes to you. This isn't a fight about who's right or who's wrong. The issue is, do you love them enough to just not do it? Or are you going to cling to a right to do it? And then verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And the idea is, why should I risk having you look down on me because I insist on doing this? Denounced is, is looking down on a char- the character of a person, it's sacrificing their reputation, their testimony. And he's saying you don't have to give up your liberty, but voluntarily give up the practice of it right now. But don't let yourself be judged over it. Don't let yourself be thought of less of it. Just don't do it. Matches Romans fourteen twenty two or Romans fourteen, or right before verse twenty two, um, where he says. Don't let the other person look down on what you believe is good. What you believe is right for you to do. And the way you do that is by not doing it. In fact, in Romans 14, Paul goes on to say, you know what? Keep it between yourself and God. Keep it between yourself and God. And and it's an interesting principle when we come to gray areas and when we come to a a church body and someone else has an issue with what we're doing. In love, we say, okay, I won't do that. And, And we choose to voluntarily stop so that we keep community, so that we keep showing love to each other. But Paul is saying, you know, between you and God, that's different. In private, that's different. Don't alter your convictions, but your behavior. Now now this is an area where I think we struggle because when we have rights, we want to assert those rights. We want to proclaim that we have those rights. And, and so one of the principles out of this is if, if, you are, if you feel freedom in a certain gray area, something that is not absolute in Scripture, don't flaunt it. Don't flaunt it. Because if we know that, that by somehow making this a public thing and flaunting it, however that could be, if we know that we are going to be offending people, we now have crossed a line and we're using our liberty to harm instead of to help. And I think that's, that's one of the challenges with, with the church and many, many new churches today is they're trying to flaunt Christian liberties to sort of prove a point. And the only point they're proving is that they don't love. It's that important to be careful of what we flaunt, what we put out on Facebook, what we challenge people with. Say, look, I can do this. And this isn't about legalism. It's about love. And loving each other. Do you want to cause others to look down on you? But more importantly, do you want to cause others to look down on God? We want to be careful not to assert our rights by destroying other people. And so Paul's first question is How does this affect your brother? Does it show love? Does it build up? Or does it tear down? The second question is in the middle of that section, verses 25 through 27. And this is the balance. Now, whenever we talk about gray areas, there are so many nuances we could talk about. And Paul is trying to give a balance here. And in verses 25 through 27, the question I have in your notes is can I enjoy this with Jesus? Can I enjoy this with Jesus? How does this affect my walk? And and Paul there is trying to help them not live in fear, oh no, what if I do something wrong and offend somebody? And so in verse 25, he says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. One commentator said, don't ask fussy questions. Don't ask legalistic questions. And he's not saying have a blind eye to sin. Paul has already dealt with the sin aspect of it. This is a genuine gray area. And he says you don't have to dwell on it. If you're convinced before God that this is okay, enjoy it. Isn't that good news? Enjoy it. And he goes goes on to say in verse 26, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he's quoting Psalm 24.1 there. And and that verse was a verse that they actually used as a blessing over their meal. And so they would quote this, and this was part of of asking God to bless their meal and thanking God for the meal. But the, the verse is really saying the earth is the Lord's. He made it. He's sovereign over it. He even made the cows that you're eating, and meat is yummy. I think so. John, we need to have steaks again sometime. But he's saying, Enjoy it. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. We forget sometimes when we talk about gray areas that God wants us to enjoy life, He has created things for us to enjoy, for pleasure. Not self-seeking pleasure, but pleasure that then gives glory to Him. Look what God has made. goes on and says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. He's dealing here with actually our testimony and our ability to reach out with the Gospel. He says, go. Enjoy a nice dinner. Don't go as a policeman. Go as a minister different concept isn't it and so the balance of i don't want to cause someone to stumble is god also gives us things to enjoy at the end of the at the, the end of that section verse 30 we also have this idea of thankfulness if i partake with thankfulness or grace that can be translated why am i denounced because of that for which i give thanks and the point of that with verse 26 is all these things are bringing jesus into it they're bringing God into it. And so the the test here that Paul is really talking about is can Jesus come along with me and do this with me? Can can I thank God for this? And when we think of gray areas, one a great test is would I be okay with this if Jesus was next to me? Now, I've told the story before, but I can remember in high school uh, watching a movie with some friends and we laughed and laughed. It was the funniest movie ever. And I thought it was the cleanest movie ever. And then I watched it with my parents. And I was horribly embarrassed. And I can remember Dad saying, Son, you think this is okay? Good test. That was not a gray area. That was not okay. But what if we did the same thing with Jesus? And we just said, okay, Jesus is with me. You know, you asked about dancing. Okay, would Jesus be okay with the kind of dancing we're doing? Would Jesus be okay with what we're wearing? Would Jesus be okay with this? Would I be comfortable? We could go down the, ro- the, the line and talk about any of the, the um, things that we mentioned there. Would I bring Jesus here? Would I be okay with Jesus watching this movie with me? And Paul says, if the answer is yes... And he's already stipulated if it's, if it's not condemned in Scripture and you're fine with Jesus there, then enjoy it. And, and that's pretty cool. And that might be different. It was different for different believers there. It might be different for some of us, depending on our weaknesses, depending on what tempts us. You know, that Susie and I have chosen not to listen to a lot of secular music but there's a couple of secular love songs that we enjoy just between the two of us because we love each other. It's really cool. Now some of you may may not choose to do that and that's okay. But you know where where you draw the line is could I listen to this with Jesus? Because the the music things a huge issue, isn't it? And I have I was a youth pastor for 20 years. Worked with youth. and, and I heard all kinds of things like well, you know what? It's OK that it talks about sex. I ignore that part. Well, I don't know. Would you listen to it with Jesus? I hope not. And we have to be there's a, there's a certain element of honesty here, too, because we we're great at rationalizing things away. Yeah, Jesus would be fine with it. He created it. No, no, He created it in marriage. and not for us to be peeping Tom's or listening Tom's in about it. Can I enjoy this with Jesus? These are verses of incredible freedom, but also giving some guidelines of where that freedom should be. Fences are good things. Fences allow us to enjoy the things inside those fences. study was done of elementary schools, and they, they looked at playgrounds without fences and playgrounds with fences. And the ones without fences, the kids stayed into the center. They, they didn't enjoy the full playground. The ones with fences, the kids would play anywhere. They'd go all the way up to the fence. Not that we should go to the line of sin, but but in terms of freedom, they knew they had freedom to go there and they enjoyed it much further. So if we can do this with thankfulness, in, in an attitude that brings Christ into it, if we know in our, in our hearts and in God's Word that this is truly a gray area, it's not something that the Bible speaks to. And we've talked about that before. Things like pornography. Things like adultery. Things, things like um, an angry spirit. A grumbling spirit. Those are all sin. Those are not gray areas. And is our conscience clear? This is a great question for what does this do to my spiritual walk? What does it open myself up to? I love Ray Steadman. He, he, was, he wrote on this verse... And he said, don't run away from life. Live in the midst of it. Don't try to avoid being normal people enjoying normal benefits of life. God has given you good things to enjoy, so enjoy them. Just make sure you don't let anything displace your love for God. And so we have the first question, does this show love to the people around me? Second question, can I enjoy this with Jesus? And there's freedom in that. And you see the balance that Paul is trying to give us there. Get it? Good. That's what Paul's doing. Not me, Paul. <laughs> question number three. We go to verse 31. And this is the most important question. This is the summary question of the whole passage. And, and actually, I would argue one of the summary questions of the Christian life and, and of Paul's theology so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the most important question is, does this bring glory to God? If it doesn't, drop it. It's not worth wasting your time on. And so Paul here says whether you eat or drink, and eating would, re- would bring in the, the meat offered to idols, but now he expands it to drink another just normal part of life. And in case we don't get it, he says, and whatever you do. So that pretty much covers everything else, right? He's saying every action we do, every moment, should be about God's glory. This is the summary of the entire argument. If you ask any question about gray areas and how should we behave, this is the one. This one sort of covers it, doesn't it? Does what I'm doing bring glory to God? It's what I'm listening to, watching, bring glory to God. And we talked a couple of years about, ago about God's glory. And we throw that around. But if you remember glory, there's two sides to the glory of God. There's a, His inherent glory, which is who He is, His character. And we can't add to that because He is all glory, right? But then there's His reputation glory, which is how people view God. And whenever we see words like bring glory to God, we're not adding to His character. We're adding to His reputation. And so the question is, is what I'm doing giving people a good view of God or a bad view of God? Is it adding to His glory or taking away from His glory? And in fact, I would argue that everything we do is for someone's glory. The question is, is it for God's glory or is it for my glory? And Paul says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 parallel verse and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him this is very different from i can do whatever i want to now how does this reflect on god And, and, and i just want to talk about this for a minute because this is this is huge to say how can we make everything we do bring glory to god but that's what paul's saying right he doesn't exclude things. He says everything except you know, sleeping at night. Everything except going to Taco Bell, for those that like Taco Bell. No, he's saying make sure everything you do brings glory to God. And the two words that I would encourage us to think through that will help us understand this is it involves how we do things and why we do things. Okay, it involves how we do things and why we do things. I can do the right things with a bad attitude? Am I bringing glory to God? No. I'm, I'm reflecting poorly on God as, as His child rather than reflecting well on Him. And so when I think of areas of life, and, and I, I think on the next page I give you some charts of different areas of life. When I think of areas of life, when I think of work, when I think of parenting, when I think of being a husband, when, when I think of church, when I, any of those areas of my life Part of how I give glory to God is how I go about that task. How I how I uh, interact at work. How I perform my duties. Do I do them well? Do I do them to the best of my ability? Reflects on God's glory. So how is one of them. But why is just as important. And, and this is where, when we think of God's glory, I, I, and you've heard me talk about this and you'll hear it over and over again. I'm okay with that. Because this is another get it, got it, good t- thing. When we think of God's glory, we think of it as a first priority. I need to do something today to give glory to God. And that's the wrong way to think of it. Everything we do should bring glory to God. And so the left picture in your notes is is sort of our approach that glory to God is the center and somehow I'll make everything contribute to God's glory. But the right picture is what God wants. See, giving glory to God isn't one of our priorities. It is our priority. Make sense? It is our priority. And and that mindset changes everything because it says every moment I should be asking myself the question or be be intentional about how am I bringing glory to God? Now, does enjoying the things God provides bring glory to Him? Absolutely. It honors Him. he's, He's pleased at that. Staying away from sin and, and doing what he says brings glory to God and honors God. When I think of being a husband, and you, you've heard me use some of these examples before, my my calling in life, my primary calling in life is not to be a good husband to Susie. And before you run out and, and pray for Susie, my primary calling in life is to give glory to God, and I do that by being a good husband to Susie. By honoring her. By loving her because I'm reflecting how Christ loves the church. By dying to self for her because I'm reflecting how Jesus Christ died on the cross for His church. Whole new meaning. That has staying power. If I'm just doing it to have a happy life, I'm not going to stick with it. If I'm doing it because this brings glory to God Almighty, now that makes a difference. That's the why. That's the why I do anything. And and, and really, Susie and I, as we, we came to understand what it means to, to be completely about God's glory, and, and not that we fully understand it, but as God keeps teaching us on that, the times God has taught us most of that is through difficulties, through pain, through tears. When we say, okay, how can I bring glory to God through this? How can I bring glory to God through a loss of a child? Pregnancy. How can I bring glory to God if I'm never going to be a dad? Because I thought my purpose was to be a dad. Those are incredibly difficult questions of the heart. But those are times where God says, My child, even when it hurts, even in the most difficult of times, you can bring glory to me. By trusting me. By letting me love you. By letting me care for you. And remembering that it's about God. And His glory. And He will turn all things to His glory. And that becomes a rock that truly sustains their difficulty. Rather than just time will pass and it will get better. But to say God... Can use this for his purposes. It's hard. Yesterday, as I was studying through this, and this is just sort of a funny illustration where God said, Ah, you don't have it down yet. Um, I, I'm, I'm studying through this, and I'm, I'm studying through this point. I'm bringing glory to God and, and what I wanted to say, and, and I'm in my office at home, and the window's open, and I smell garlic bread. Oh, it smelled good. And I, I was probably a little hungry. Because I, I, I figured out it wasn't garlic, garlic bread. It was burning plastic from my laptop. <laughs> and my laptop burned up in front of me. Not fire, but just smoke and smell and, and, and blank. <laughs> Nothing. And it was pretty frustrating because I'm trying to prepare for today and finish preparations for today. And, and, and God is like, okay, how are you going to glorify me through this? Because I'm thinking, so how does it glorify God to throw this out the window and run it over with my car five times? (laughs) And I I went out to try to get a replacement quickly and and that didn't work out. And I'm just getting frustrated. And God is saying, you don't got this down yet. (laughs) Because something as silly as just a little piece of equipment that went down and you're frustrated and you're angry. And so... I needed to bring that under the glory of God and say my attitude and how I deal with this is part of how I'll show show the glory of God. Will I be angry? Will I be frustrated? Will I take it out on my family? Or will I find a way to smile and say, well, we'll figure out a solution. Silly little example, but don't we have stuff every day that challenges us with that? Does this glorify God? The Westminster Catechism sort of catches both point two and point three. Enjoy, Can I enjoy this with Christ? And does this bring glory to God when it says the very first thing, what is the chief end of man? Do you guys know the answer to that? I'm going to assume you said to glorify Him and and enjoy Him forever. (laughs) To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Everyone was talking, so I don't know. But to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When we think of gray areas, does this glorify God? Can I enjoy this with with Him? This week, I challenge you to think about your activities and say, how am I making sure this glorifies God? Men, as you go to work tomorrow morning, think of it in terms of you're there to glorify God. In your testimony there, in showing faithfulness by providing for your family, and showing faithfulness by using, by providing for God's work out of that, all of that is bringing glory to God. Moms, when you're dead tired and just want to duct tape your kid to a wall, how are you going to let your mothering glorify God? You're discipling those kids. You're raising a generation of leaders in the church. That's huge. Don't miss the why. It's easy in everyday life to forget it. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, writes, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, if you go through difficulties, if you go to work, if you don't go to work, if you're taking care of kids, if you're dealing with physical ailments, if you're taking care of elderly, do all to the glory of God. Two more questions. Question number four. Does this hinder or help the Gospel? And really, these three, these first four questions are are questions we see over and over with Paul. How does it affect my brother? How does it affect my walk with God? How does it affect God's glory? And now, how does it affect the Gospel? Does this hinder or help the Gospel? Is this about pleasing myself or sharing the Gospel? Verse 32. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Pretty much covers everybody, Jews and Greeks, two different, um, both Gentiles and Jews, probably not saved, and then to the Church of God, how do I love each other? But then he goes on to clarify: just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That they may be saved. Remember chapter 9, what was Paul's evangelistic um principle? All things all men, that by all means, I might save some. He's just summarizing it here. He's saying, I, I try to please everything, everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, it's not about me, but that of many, that they may be saved. Verse 27 we already talked about. If you get invited to an unbeliever's home, what a great opportunity. Go. Tell them how good the food is and then tell them about Jesus. So when we think of gray areas, does this hinder or help the gospel? That may be different in different situations. I, I can remember sitting at a business lunch, and about half the group were believers, half the group weren't believers, and and there was always discussion about that. One of the guys knew I was a pastor, and he'd always say that his, um, his karma ran over my dogma. I think that's how he used to say it. <laughs> Uh, because we talk about it, and we would talk pretty openly about it. And I remember at this one particular lunch, um, one of the guys decided that this was a great opportunity to drink, and to drink a bunch of alcohol. And it was one of the Christians that were there. And it was interesting because none of the uh, none of the non-Christians were drinking because we're going back to work. We're this isn't the right time, um, even if even if that's a liberty that that you're okay with. This wasn't the right time. And I can remember going back to the office and, and everyone knew I was a pastor and two or three of the unbelievers pulled me aside and said, so so is he, is he not a very good Christian? Why is he doing that? And, and I'm not saying, again, alcohol, there, there's a, a wide range of opinions and I'm not saying that we should never drink alcohol, but we should be aware of what it's doing to those around us. And this person wasn't. And I knew a little bit. They were friends of mine and they were like, I was just making a point. Well, they didn't make the point they wanted to make. Does this hinder or help the Gospel? Is this about pleasing myself or sharing the Gospel? Paul was willing to do anything Seek the advantage of others rather than personal gain so that they would be saved. Fifth question. Am I living in a way that imitates Christ and that I'd be okay with others copying? Chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Scariest thing in the world to say. I I don't know that I could say that. With confidence. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But yet, moms and dads, you say that every day. Your kids are copying you. They are imitating you. So you better make sure you're imitating Christ. And so a great test of a gray area is, am I okay with others copying this? Am I I okay with my kids copying this? Does this reflect well on Christ? So five questions. Does this show love to my brother and build them up? Can I enjoy this with Jesus? Is this right with God? Am I right with God? Third one, does this bring glory to God? Fourth one, does this hinder or help the Gospel? Fifth one, is this imitating Christ? And in a way that I'm okay if someone else imitated it. Those five questions, if we apply those to our actions, what we should and shouldn't do, pretty much give us some guidelines pretty much covers it. I'd like to end with one final thought. One of the things with gray areas, and especially with with our American individualism, is we we have a tendency to want to be right, don't we? Or we, we tend to believe we're right. And we tend to want others to know that we are right. And when we come to gray areas, it's not about somehow convincing someone else that they're wrong and I'm right. It's not about being a policeman even with each other and saying, you know what, you shouldn't have done that, you should have done that, you shouldn't have done that. It's about showing God's grace to others. We're all in process. Every one of us in this room. We're all in process on the gray areas. We may be at different places in certain gray areas. Some of that... Some of these may or may not be tied to spiritual maturity. It's not my place to look down on you or your place to look down on me because we are at different places of truly gray areas. How much grace has God shown each of us? A lifetime. An eternity of grace. Can I show a little bit to my neighbor? So be careful as we talk about gray areas not to become judgmental of others, but to welcome them, to love them. Let God work on their hearts. Dr. Ironside, I I close with a story. Once talked about an incident at a picnic he was at Everyone at the picnic was a Christian, including one young woman who had been converted to Christ, young one man, sorry, who had been converted to Christ from Islam. A young lady was passing out sandwiches to people in the group, and she went to the former Muslim and said, Would you like a ham sandwich or pork? Don't you have any beef sandwiches left? The young man asked. I'm sorry, they're all gone. Well, then I won't have a sandwich. Thanks anyway. The young woman said, you know, you know, I know you couldn't eat pork as a Muslim, but now you're a Christian. You're free to eat any food you like. He said, I, I know I'm free to eat pork, but I'm also free not to eat it. I'm trying to be a witness to my family. They're all Muslims living in the Middle East. I visit them once a year, and I know that when I arrive, the first question my father will ask me is, have those infidels taught you to eat that filthy hog meat yet? If I say, yes, Father, I'll be banished and no longer be able to witness to my family. But if I say, no, pork has never passed my lips, then I will continue to have a relationship with my family and I can tell them of the joy I've found in Jesus Christ. So I choose not to eat because of my love for my family and my love for Jesus Christ. Isn't that neat? sort of brings it home. We have freedom, but we also have freedom to abstain, to bring glory to God, to show His love to our brothers, to show His love, the gospel that they need. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, I pray for us as a group. We're all growing, God. We're all walking, learning how to live godly lives before You. And Lord, we're all in process. Help us to show grace to each other. To, to not take it on ourselves to police each other on some of these gray areas, but to love each other, to accept, to encourage, Lord, and, and to look at our own lives. Say, how can I better build up? How can I make sure every action is about God's glory? How can I make sure people hear the Gospel and the great news of Your salvation on the cross, of forgiveness of sins, that is offered freely if we just believe. Lord, I pray that that be what we're known as. Men and women of the cross willing to sacrifice our own rights that one will be saved. Thank You, God, for Your Word. In Jesus' name.